0: He explodes guinea pigs. He's a villain.
1: (laughs) Horcruxes and guinea pigs both damage your soul.
2: Welcome to Talking Beasts. From
0: NarniaWeb.com.
2: Where we explore the world of C.S. Lewis. And keep a watchful eye.
0: On the latest Narnia movie news. This is Talking Beasts. Welcome back, Narnie Webbers. I'm Glum Puddle,
2: and I'm Jim Fan,
0: and I'm Rillian. And today we are finally starting our commentary series on The Magician's Nephew. <laughs> we don't need Rillian. I'm going to include an actual applause sound effect.
1: Oh, okay. But cool. I, I, that one's so much better. What you you and about? your
0: wife like appreciate the effort. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> We talk about all the Chronicles of Narnia in passing, but these commentaries are kind of a chance to go through them chapter by chapter and give them the minute attention, read, nerdiness, obsessive detail that they chapter deserve. Chapter by chapter,
1: paragraph by paragraph, oh, word gosh. by word,
2: <laughs> word, letter by, word. by letter. <laughs> we need we'll the, the translated versions.
0: If you're interested, the magician's nephew has 41,062 words in it, if you were wondering. I and she's
1: memorized them. every one of them
0: uh not memorized but it has been way too long since i really read this book cover to cover i've so i've so enjoyed getting back into it
2: same i was just saying before we started it was like my first time actually um doing audiobook for this cuz i've been doing a lot of driving so i was like oh i'll audiobook the first two chapters
1: i
0: did the same kenneth brana yes kenneth brana
2: and i was like i've actually never heard the audiobook before
0: now jim fan it's totally fine. So Magician's <laughs> Nephew, of course, was the first Narnia book you ever read, though. Isn't that right?
2: Sadly, yes.
0: No, that's fine, though. It's totally fine. Happy ending. You're obviously a Narnia podcaster, I, you know, so I a happy it. ending. If,
2: you know, if it's a testament to the quality of these books, regardless in whichever order you read it in, I don't know what else to say except I'm here.
0: <laughs> I stand by that, that they're great books in either order, but one is more ideal. The publication order is more <laughs> ideal. But uh, how clearly... You know, here it's been, you know, it's been a decade and a half o- over th- over that.
2: Oh gosh, ages, ages.
0: And you, we've you read it multiple times. We've analyzed the movies, and you've been in a podcast for a long time. Like, how, how clearly do you remember, like, your initial reaction to the Magician's nephew? Do you remember going when they discover Uncle Andrew's study? I went, what? Like, how, how clearly do you actually remember your initial reactions?
2: I don't remember a ton, except. It was more at the end because I was familiar with Narnia in the rough sense that I I knew kind of waves of the the overarching story. Mm-hmm. So I didn't know Magician's nephew. I didn't know anything about it, but I knew this was it was explaining the beginning. So I was like, okay, that's fine. Read it. Enjoyed it. To me, the thing that I remember the most was how jarring the transition from Magician's Nephew to Lion the Witch in the Wardrobe was.
0: Ah, uh, okay, yeah, if you're reading in chronological order, yeah.
2: Yeah, mm. it was just super, super jarring um, because you go from, yeah, just the writing styles are totally different and the level of um, explanation, as we'll get into in a little bit, is completely different. Uh-huh. So then when you go from that to the very simplistic but very evocative language in the wardrobe, you're like, it takes you a bit to get used to it. So I, that was the thing I remember the most.
0: And I just want to give you an amen there. There's a lot of other things (laughs) I could say, but we've already done our Publication Order versus Chronological Order podcast. So we'll just try not to mention that too much, I guess. Oh, what the heck? Of course, we're going to do that all the time. We're going to
2: mention it a lot, though. Don't be... (laughs) Especially in this podcast, I feel like, because we're going to... It's a lot of compare and contrast, I think.
0: So let's go, Uh, The Magician's Nephew. Um, I do have some fun facts about The Magician's Nephew to kick us off here, I mean, well, th- I don't know how fun they are. They're definitely facts, though. Um, it is, of course, the sixth sixth Narnia book to be published, published on May 2nd, 1955, so about five and a half years after The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Uh, Lewis's first attempt at this has become known as the Le Fay Fragment, which Rillian and I uh, read through and did an episode about. I'll have to include a link to that in the description um he started writing this shortly after the line The Witch in the Wardrobe and it does have Polly and Diggory in it, but it's about Diggory having the ability to talk to animals, cuts down a branch cuts a branch off a tree and loses that ability. Lewis got about I think about twenty pages into it and mm-hmm. went, Nope, I'll do Prince Caspian instead as a follow up. But um certainly you see elements of of that have survived and ended up in the magician's nephew ultimately. And name lefay that's so, right. Yeah. Uh, um, and then name is still in there. Uh, the opening paragraph of the book, of course, references the best of all children, which for those that don't know, are the main characters and short stories by Edith Nesbitt, the first one being titled The Story of the Treasure Seekers, which is published in 1899. Uh, Magician's Nephew was supposedly originally titled Polly and Diggory. I think that was a slight improvement to go with The Magician's Nephew, but it's possible <laughs> Lewis was just, that was just kind of his working title but um, supposedly originally titled Polly and Diggory. Uh, Magician's Nephew was uh, the last Narnia book Lewis actually completed writing. Not the last one to be published, though, but the last one he actually finished writing. Open up to one of the first few pages, you'll see it was dedicated to the Kilmer family. The Kilmer family is just a group of, uh, well, a family of excited fans that was corresponding with Lewis throughout the publication of uh, the Chronicles of Narnia. And so he gave him a shout out.
1: Can you imagine how stoked you'd be? Back in the day. It's
0: topped only by Douglas Gresham, of course, being a fan, and then his mom eventually marrying the author. That's the only way I can think <laughs> to top
2: that.
0: That's it. All the fun facts I got. Very nice. Uh, so we're fun. Looking- Much fun. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so glad we're off such a good start. Uh, <laughs> we're talking about the first two chapters today. Uh, chapter one, The Wrong Door, and chapter two, Diggory and His Uncle. You know, to jump into this, Rillian, um, would you mind reading the opening paragraph in your most... English C.S. Lewis, <laughs> Lewis kind of voice you can possibly muster.
1: Uh, just the first paragraph?
0: This, let's just do that first paragraph to launch us into our story.
1: Chapter 1. The Wrong Door. This is a story about something that happened long ago when your grandfather was a child. It is a very important story because it shows how all the comings and goings between our own world and the land of Narnia first began.
2: Ooh. Ooh. here we
0: go here
2: dun, we go dun, dun. see that just draws uh, you in like come on
0: uh we could uh we could literally go all day just on chapter one of this so where do we stop uh how do we rein ourselves in the answer is with a google doc we've each uh put down some notes of things we want to talk about on this particular day about this chapter uh so we'll be referencing that a lot the first one on the list i see Jim Fan, you just wrote prequel vibes
2: yes prequel vibes
0: what is that and is that good or bad
2: (laughs) the thing that struck me the most when i was going back and rereading these after admittedly quite a bit of time and this is something we'll get into as we go but there's a lot of exposition there's a lot of backstory there's a lot of we're gonna tell you how this happened why it happened what was the result like going into just tons of detail that you don't really see in the rest of the series. And honestly, I do think that is because this is this is the Chronicles of Narnia, but this is almost like it's like the prequel to the Chronicles of Narnia. The fact that it's an origin story is almost the most important thing about it.
0: I don't know if I'd agree with that, because I, I, I think it stands unlike some other famous prequels. That are pretty well known in pop culture. Uh, I think The Magician's Nephew, it stands on its own Mm. as just a great story. Now, I think it's better and you'll get more from it if you've already read other books. But I still think it works well. It's not the whole point. I mean, I read
2: it first.
0: Yeah. And here you are. And
2: here I am.
0: Yeah. I think just judging it as a prequel. Yeah. I would say, it's not a yes, it does explain the origin of Narnia, yeah. but that's not the only thing it's doing. That's just one of the things it's doing. It still is, it's still telling its own story of Diggory and Polly yeah. that you can enjoy just as the story of Diggory and Polly. But it also is, as a side to that, it's also setting up the whole world of Narnia. I think so many prequels get so caught up in just doing setup, and that's all they do. Yeah,
2: I guess I would amend what I would say is like the fact that its origin story is not the most important thing about the whole book, but I do feel like it's the most important thing about at least the second chapter.
0: Okay, fair like, enough. What's
2: what is the reason to go into all of that backstory? Except, like, it does establish that Uncle Andrew is a creep, and that he's mm-hmm. gaslighting Diggory, and that Diggory is a pretty stand-up kid and all uh-huh. this backstory that's just like tons of detail because we have to know exactly where this came from but we can get into that later
0: well i, I don't know well we're talking about it why don't I just go ahead and skip ahead to that part in chapter two we can come back to the beginning late, later because that's the part about these first two chapters that have interested me the most um polly and diggory exploring the house they open the wrong door they f- meet uncle andrew and he then you know. Polly touches the rings, disappears. And then we launch into basically an entire chapter. It's the Count, like you, you know, really, and you mentioned it's the Council of Elrond chapter of the Magician's Nephew. So lots <laughs> yeah. of detail about, you know, his, um, you know, godmother, Mrs. Le Fay, and he acquired the dust, said he would destroy it, but then he didn't destroy it and eventually fashioned the rings. And it, you know, hints that he made all these sacrifices. So, um, really, and you're saying in your notes that you mentioned, yeah, exp- your, your note says, exposition 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 which seems like a departure from the rest of the series lewis tends to leave things mysterious
1: it is a change of pace and of course this is one of those scenes that you know if you were to put it in uh, a movie they would probably just do a flashback or something or frankly they would just open with something like this like this would be the opening of the movie if they mm. were to adapt. They, they would just show mrs lefay or him finding the box and you know something and then they would allude to it you know uh, with little ex- exploding hamster bombs and <laughs> no no visualize <laughs> you know. this
2: it's like it's like a whole bunch of like you know spinning worlds in the universe and then little flecks of dust come out and coalesce into a cloud and come Ooh. and then into our world and then they go into a box and then a hand comes into shot and picks up the box
0: and scene Netflix are you listening don't
2: don't make me a director
0: <laughs> <laughs> but it, it is
1: interesting because it one of the surprising things is it introduces the idea that there's magic in our world too. Independent of Narnia, you don't, I mean, yeah, their wardrobe is magical. It's in our world, but it's a door to Narnia, right? So it has to be magical to get any kind of device that gets you to Narnia has to be magical. But here's something independent, sort of. In reading the the first part of this book, it has a very different feel, I think, and maybe that was intentional. I think I'd have to study it a bit more. To really put my finger on, like, what is it that sets this book apart? Because I was thinking about, you know, in many ways the Line Witch and the Wardrobe and Prince Caspian and Voids of the Dawn Treader have very similar openings.
0: Isn't that interesting that he starts with Polly instead of Diggory? Even though Diggory clearly becomes main protagonist over Polly. Yeah. He, he introduces Diggory from Polly's point of view. I think it's really interesting.
1: I kind of find each bit of the story here in the first couple chapters, I feel like all of it kind of just draws me in. So yes, there is this kind of, you have to suspend disbelief just a little bit that Digger isn't just flipping out, but I think it yeah. kind of works out. Like, okay, she disappears and then he's willing to listen to this sp- spiel by Uncle Andrew.
0: And he does interrupt a few times and he's like, but what does it have to do with Polly?
1: It, it makes some sense because he's like, he's like, well, what about this? Oh, you keep you know, skipping the point, you know, you, you, <laughs> you keep missing the point. But um, at a, every point, it, I think what, I like is Lewis draws you in a little further. So here you, you start off, you've got boy and girl in London, you know, he kind of sets the stage and then, oh, there's these, there's the smuggler's cave. It uh, kind of draws you into the adventure a little more. Then, oh, they find the, the room. It's uncle Andrew's study draws you in a little more. Polly disappears. Stakes get higher. you find out about Mrs. Lefay. you know, draws you in even more into the the world.
0: And you're kind of willing to be patient with it because you want to yes. get to the end where he's going to explain what happened to Polly. Right. Yeah, tons of exposition and just lots of explaining where things came from. Whereas in, in past books, he never explained where the wardrobe came from. Of course, he will shortly hear. But then um, and the the picture in the bedroom that Eustace, uh, Lucy and Edmund get sucked into. We don't know why that worked or where it came from. Mm-hmm. The mysterious back door at Experiment House in the silver chair. We never get an answer to why that worked or where it came from. And now here we are, a whole chapter explaining everything. Um, Now, that said... So my, I, m- I remember thinking, yeah, it was sort of the one time where Lewis kind of didn't let things be mysterious. We explained it all in a lot of detail, but that's kind of what I would have always thought about this scene. But reading through it again, I realized not really. He's still leaving a lot of things a mystery. Like uh, it's not it's not like this is a big, elaborate scientific explanation of how the world's got connected. I mean, the explanation is, you know, Atlantis.
1: Yeah. You know, Atlantis. <laughs> hashtag magic. Yeah. yeah and he also, he,
0: it, and, I just, and there's the bit where Andrew, Andrew just says, and like, and then I made the rings. Like, that's it. Like, how did you get from dust to rings? It's not explained. Right. And it's all these things where, like, well, how did he learn magic? It's all very vague. And I met some very unpleasant people. It turned my hair gray. And I will say it does make a little
1: more sense. And, and I reason I've even mentioned like Counts of Elrond is like, yeah. you know, I, I was listening to this review of Lord of the Rings by... Andrew Claven, he's like, you know, like, I know it's this famous work of literature, but oh my goodness, I, could, I tried it five <laughs> times. I couldn't get past this chapter called The Council of Elrond. It's the single <laughs> largest chapter in the whole book. And it is like, like they don't leave the room, like the whole chapter, you know? But, uh, you know, so it's l- a little bit reminded me of that. But it, I think it is condensed partly because it, it, it does. You know, you do have to really suspend disbelief if he makes it really long because, like, well, wait a second, this kid just disappeared out of thin air, uh-huh. and now all of a sudden he's got this like, "Oh, let me uh, sit down, my boy. Let me tell you the story."
0: <laughs> well, he wants to be quiet because, and it's horrible. You know, he doesn't want to alarm his mother. Um, and what's he going to do? Just leave? What, yeah, but yeah, yeah. I, I think it just barely works as far as him not freaking out. Um, but yeah, so a lot of stuff is still a mystery here. He does scream. He does try to scream. That's yeah. true. He puts his hand you over know. his mouth. Um, I think the main point of all this, though, is um, it's not like the backstory. You, you get the sense Lewis wrote the backstory kind of begrudgingly, and he gave as little detail as he could, because even just like, you know, like it's all vague on exactly how Uncle Andrew learned magic and everything. It's just hinted at that he did terrible things. and That's what turned his hair gray. And
1: well, yeah, blowing up hamsters is a terrible thing. It's
2: that'll a horrible it. thing to do. That'll do it. <laughs> That I mean, be-
1: that if it's a mark on you, if it scars your soul, I mean, yeah. let's be honest.
0: Um, but this isn't really about the backstory of Narnia or the backstory how all this came together. It's about Andrew's character, and what we're setting up is the fact that he is um, interested in exploring the unknown, and he is willing to do uh, morally questionable things, like blowing up guinea pigs, uh, or or just things like breaking promises to his dying godmother. Um, and, uh, and, 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 he considers himself almost a divine that I am above rules that would apply to other people something we'll see, uh, Queen Jadis is going to echo later. Um, so this is about establish. It's not about here's the origin of Narnia. It's about, here's this character, Uncle Andrew and setting up the themes of is the unknown or the universe or nature. Is it a resource for us or or is it something we're supposed to be stewards of?
1: Well, and that is how he reveals the characters. One thing I I like, in contrast to some other books, and I'm not saying there's a right or wrong method, right? You you can do a lot of internal monologuing, like thought process, um, you know, and and Lewis varies too. Like the horse and his boy, there's a lot Mm -hmm. of Shasta's inner thoughts. Right. Mm-hmm. A lot of times where he's by himself and so he, he's just thinking to himself. a lot of internal monologuing. Here you don't really see that, and you very quickly learn through the dialogue or through the actions about the different characters. You learn, you know, Polly is, you know, curious. Polly has a heart.
0: Curiosity, very important theme in the story. You know,
1: Diggory is uh has an element of chivalry. Diggory is tries to be tough, but he's also uh understandably, very sensitive. He's got this very sensitive spot uh, with regard to his mother, uh, like any human being would. And Uncle Andrew, you know, like one of my favorite lines, like I thought, man, like I, I would hope they put this line again in the movie. Uncle Andrew says, uh, but of course, you must understand that rules of that sort, uh, however excellent they may be for little boys and servants and women and even people <laughs> in general, can't possibly be expected to apply to profound students and Great thinkers and sages. Yeah, it's
2: very descriptive of his character.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, let let me ask you this. Um, I I posted something in the Narnia Facebook group recently. Um, it was actually um, some it was I think that the topic was what are the most underrated characters in Narnia, and I put Uncle Andrew, and I just mentioned I think he really has a an awe of the unknown and a desire to explore. And Colonel Klink pushed back on me and said, uncle Andrew doesn't have awe. You know, like he's, he's in the, he's in it for himself and his own gains. He doesn't have an awe of the unknown, but I'm just curious, would you, do you, would you guys describe uncle Andrew as having a sense of awe for the unknown? I mean, you could compare him to a character like rapey cheap, who clearly has an awe of the unknown and, you know, uh, literally would be willing to die just for one moment to look beyond the edge of the world. Now that's awe. Do you think Uncle Andrew has anything akin to that?
2: I think that if he does have an awe for the unknown in terms of, you know, devoting so much of his life to discovering like the secret of the box, I think it's only to the extent to which he inwardly hopes or wants it to bring him power and also the fact that he is a complete coward when it comes down to it you know because if it really you know like i mean he he just makes excuses it's like at my age would you know you know whatever whatever like it couldn't possibly it would be you know such a risk well that to me is putting himself above the unknown whereas you know i feel like someone like Reba Cheap is like you know i'll i'll paddle till my nose sinks and i don't care like uh-huh. that i'm just going to keep yeah. going that is the most important uh-huh. thing not me so that's the difference there for me sure. so i don't know if i would describe it that way but if it's there it is hampered by quite a bit of narcissism and like thirst for power
0: sure but i think there's something approaching A giddy excitement and just desire to explore in Uncle Andrew somewhere. That's why I think he's so interesting. I always think of when he says, um, you know, so he he finally opens the box and, you know, and Diggory asks what was in it. And Uncle Andrew says, only dust, fine, dry dust. Nothing much to look at, not much to show for a lifetime of toil, you might say. Ah, but when I looked at that dust... And thought that every grain had once been in another world. I don't mean another planet, you know. They're part of our world. And you could get to them if you went far enough. But a really other world. Another nature. Another universe. Somewhere you could never reach. Even if you traveled through the space of this universe forever and ever. A world that could only be reached by magic. Well. Like, there's something in him there that is like, wow, just like Reepicheep, that I think still has that same awe and wonder of exploring the unknown. But the tell that you mentioned, I think is what you mentioned, Jim Fan. but it's ultimately misguided because he's serving himself, not Reepicheep, who serves Aslan, who serves um, Narnia, who serves something greater. The past couple of years, it has really hit me what a complicated character Uncle Andrew is. Uh, that's, I, I, I love that.
1: Um, I And pushing back, no... I- I don't I don't I'm not saying that he has no curiosity, but you look at his response in in chapter nine where Narnia is the founding of Narnia. And he is utterly uninterested in exploring or learning more about this world again until it can benefit him. Everything I, I and, and even the it's not like he was on this quest to discover magic or something or to be a magician and then oh lo and behold, he discovered Mrs. LeFay. No, it kind of landed in his lap. And for him, the only interest is if it elevates him. Uh, I think that Uncle Andrew is the sort who would kind of go for any angle on something if it would elevate him and make him the focus of uh, attention and glory. So I'm not saying he has zero curiosity about other worlds or or anything, or doesn't find it interesting at all. Uh, I just think that he is, that is very much a tertiary concern for him. Any any kind of exploration or discovery. I think it truly is his own elevation um, in his own eyes. Uh, And that's why like he has no interest in Narnia because he's in the, Uh, jadis's shadow by that point uh he's not he realizes very quickly he's not the the top dog anymore in his own little mind and uh you know he doesn't have any interest in exploring more of narnia or learning more about it uh why why would he be and he doesn't have any interest in narnia at all until he sees you know the uh the lamppost grow and realizes that things will grow there and starts thinking about you know, growing trains in, in Narnia. Okay.
0: Well, yeah, there'll, there'll be opportunities, I guess, for us to, to return to this uh, throughout so the we, we, And
1: we can explore it later. I do think he is a much more interesting character. I think, it, I would hope if they ever did an adaptation, they would get a really good actor who could play him well. Cause I, he's not a wholly evil character in some ways. It's a little more of a Gollum type character. He's, he has some redeeming qualities, but even, um, you know, you know, he's becomes a much more decent chap once he becomes humbled. Uh, at the end of the book, or more of the epilogue of the book, I guess we would say.
0: Right. But mm. yeah, so and I, so I, I'm,
1: I will say I'm a little more with Colonel Clink on this one.
0: Okay, well, there'll be opportunity I think for us throughout the book to return to this. I mean, I do think um, it doesn't make sense to me when you look at everything he's sacrificed right now. It doesn't make sense that, like, when he saw the dust in the box, he thought maybe I could make money off this.
1: I don't think he cares about money as much as he cares about prestige.
0: I don't Oh, if it's a prestige you think. Okay. Um, Mm -hmm. But I don't know. I just don't buy that. He would be making the sacrifices he's made doing everything he's done just for that. To me, there is something. And and, and I know you're agreeing. There's a little bit of curiosity in there somewhere. But anyway, so, yeah, I I think what you everything you said in Colonel Clink, it's all perfectly valid. And that's what I love about this character. I think there's I, I love the nuance here.
1: Yeah, no, I think he is a complex character. I like him as a character. He's one of the, I think, a very well-written, I don't want to say pseudo-villain. Not quite sure how to, he's an antagonist. He explodes
0: guinea pigs.
1: He's a villain.
2: (laughs) (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Horcruxes
1: and guinea pigs, both damage your soul. Uh, No, I think, I mean, he is an antagonist in the story. Don't get me wrong. He is an antagonist in the story. Um, But no, I'll say, I've seen people make a lot of sacrifices for the sake of their own pride and prestige. I'll just sure. leave it at that.
0: Fair enough. Um, I think, yeah, let, let, definitely want to return to this uh, question of uh, what's going on inside Uncle Andrew uh, let, let, dun, dun, throughout dun. the book. Dun, dun, dun. Okay, well, dun, 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 uh, uh. I guess returning now to, I've got looking at, back at the Google Doc here, returning back to the beginning of the book, now that we got to be <laughs> Uncle Andrew stuff. You covered
2: oh, I, almost everything. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um. So... Let's hop into DeLorean and go backwards to chapter one here. Um, I actually find the opening of the book kind of boring compared to other books for the first few pages. It's
1: got Sherlock Holmes. How can it be boring? Uh, (laughs) I mentioned
0: Sherlock Holmes. Well, hang on. (laughs) Let me get to the good stuff. We always talk about like, you know, it's it's a common topic. Hey, what would be one place in Nurnia you'd want to go if you could? Where would you want to visit? I just realized this past reading that somewhere near the top of my list is Polly's Smuggler's Cave. Um, I think it sounds awesome. I love the detail. I love the I, I love the ginger beer detail. She probably has she probably has fake cigarettes or something too. <laughs> Have you ever had ginger beer? Have I, I? I think so. so. I think so. Yeah. That's not the point, really. I mean, like, <laughs> the, the, the the point is, it's like a pirate or whatever. I love that attention a to detail. Or whatever. It's a pirate or whatever. <laughs> I, I I so Paul relate. Always got this. her stash
1: of rum. Don't tell my parents.
0: Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, um. No, I love it. I I, I love the i just the idea of finding that little cave somewhere in your house, and you can go there and kind of hide. And uh, my parents had a closet where there was this far off corner they didn't really use for anything. And I used to remember being very little and, and climbing in there and hiding. And I just so I uh, to me it gets the idea of curiosity and exploration into the story right away. And I think in chapter one we have the the curiosity with in an innocent childlike way. And then in chapter two, we have curiosity with uncle Andrew in a not so innocent way. Um, So that idea of curiosity in um, exploration, I find just super exciting. Um, I love, there's a line and just getting your imagination going. There's a line I love so much um, where they're talking about, should we go explore the, you know, the other house Um, and Lewis writes, now that they were talking by daylight in the attic instead of by candlelight in the smuggler's cave, it seemed much less likely that the empty house would be haunted. <laughs> and I relate to that. But when, when they're in the smuggler's cave, though, it's that vibe and that aura it creates of anything like could be Digger's possible. Just, uh,
1: grown-ups are always thinking of boring explanations. <laughs> <laughs> like
2: the drains. <laughs> boring. They could be the drains. <laughs> and, and yet <laughs> we relate because we are all grown-ups now. We have problems like, <laughs> oh, the drains.
0: <laughs> That's why we need books like "The Magician's Nephew." Sometimes it's not the drains. Um, but curiosity. there's two times in uh, this first chapter where Polly's curiosity gets the better of her. The first time, uh, you know, they open the door and they realize, oh, snap, we're not where we went to go. We're in um it's a fully furnished study. They don't know it's Uncle Andrew yet. And Polly, seemingly acting on instinct just jumps in you know, blows out her candle and jumps in um and then later of course she you know touches the ring because she's curious and there's something strangely attractive about him but i just think it's an interesting moment because you know in a few chapters from now there's going to be a very memorable moment where it's diggory's curiosity um that leads him to do something terrible um <laughs> that him and a good many other people regret for thousands of years <laughs> so it's interesting that it's Polly and Polly was the one that suggested they explore too she seems she's suggesting uh she's been the one that's being a little more reckless right now I don't know do you like if you were in Polly's shoes do you think you would have gone into the room or would you made her run for it
2: well I mean I'm extremely risk adverse so probably not
0: so that's where the series would have ended roll credits That's where
2: it would have ended (laughs) two pages we're done
1: <laughs> and they all lived happily ever after.
0: Uh I mean,
1: I don't know. I mean they, they don't I think they're a little I kinda get the feeling reading it that they're they're trying to process because they really thought, Oh, wait, we're in the wrong house. We suck then, at math. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh yeah, we're terrible Love at math that. and we can't and we're children. And then you know, <laughs> Uncle Andrew stops them from leaving. Um, I don't know. I I, I don't again they're curious, you know. And, and it's also Uncle Andrew. It's not like he thought, "Oh, oh, there's my uncle. He's gonna, you know, send one of us into the into the netherverse." You know,
0: uh huh. <laughs> right. Fair enough. Um, I just think that. Uh, well, I guess I won't get into the bell bell and the hammer yet, but I, I've got some thoughts you on save it, save it, save it. How how believable it is what Diggory what Diggory did.
1: Wait, which part? Are you talking about them going into the room?
0: Uh, when we get to the bell and the hammer. Um, which is like, that's Diggory acting out of curiosity and doing mm-hmm. something reckless. Um, well, you're right, Jim fan, We'll stop and we'll get there. I just thought it was Spoilers! interesting that it was, it, it, it was Polly taking the risks early in these chapters, not Diggory. Uncle Andrew offers the rings, and I love that detail where it says if Polly was a little bit younger, or, or a lot younger, she would have wanted to put her mouth on them. And because uh, <laughs> there's this strange attraction to them that you can't explain.
1: Oh, no, it's true. You have to hide rings from
0: children. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like it's it's not the one ring it's not like the rings are alive in some way or have this well they're
1: making music that's one thing i thought was interesting
0: that's right there's almost a musical tone which yeah. is a theme that runs like sound i'll come back to this sound and music it's like a motif that runs through this entire book if you look for mm-hmm. it it is mm-hmm. yeah both good and evil uh-huh But she touches them and disappears. And awesome chapter cliffhanger. I love it so much. I just love how it's just, there was no Polly. He doesn't say, and then Polly vanished. It's just, there was no Polly. Not a boom or a flash or anything. I love it so much. Uh, I think it's the last note here. Um, Jim Fan, you've got Diggory's character is shown very quickly that he's not susceptible to Uncle Andrew's gaslighting.
2: Yeah. It's I mean, it kind of talked about it a little bit already, but it's so interesting in all of the second chapter how much like Uncle Andrew is just winding him up and um, you know, being like You know, this is your like. This is you know. It's up to you to do this. I couldn't possibly. You know, if you don't do this, then (laughs) your mother's gonna die. Polly's Ah, gonna die. You know, and he and Diggory instead of being like, "Oh my gosh, you're right," he's like, "You are horrible. (laughs) I will do this anyway." But you are literally the worst. Um, And I'm like, "Good for (laughs) you."
1: If they like brought it into modern day, that's what he would say. You are literally the worst. The worst. You are the worst.
0: (laughs) You know, it's uh, I think it's uh, Diggory's kind of speech about, well, I guess if magic is real, then I guess all the old stories are more or less true. And I never read a story like that where, you know, the the bad guys didn't lose at the end or something like that. And it really actually affects Uncle Andrew.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I've for- honestly forgotten rereading. i would yeah. forgotten that that's something that drives home to Uncle Andrew.
0: Like, that little monologue is, like, that's got to be one of the most underrated, like, speeches, little speeches. Yeah. That is, up. Th- that is like, up there with Puddleglum's speech, like, to the yeah. Lady of the Green Curl, well, I think. Well, when you far think as, about like, it, yeah! such,
2: it's such a simple declaration of faith, in a way. He's like, okay, well, I didn't really think all that stuff was real, but obviously it is now, and if they're real... Then this is the, this is what happens. So I don't have to worry about you because I know you're gonna get your coming up. at some point. I love it. And he's just mm-hmm. like, that's just how it's gonna be. I don't have to stress, you know. He, and yeah, it it's such a such a childlike faith in a way.
0: I love. I'm
1: it. I'm gonna join Jim Fan and envisioning how we would do the movie. You have like you have it so that Diggory reaches for the ring, hovers above it, looks at him, gives the speech. You gotta come up and discover yes. the boy. And then it vanishes, you know? And then you like he's gone out of the room and then with the dramatic music as the horror cross <laughs> Uncle Andrew's with the evil grin.
0: Uh, and I like and, and like the effect when D- when Diggory is transported, it can be like, you know, zooming away from Uncle Andrew, and you just see his face like like this look of <laughs> horror on his face. Like this last thing you see of him before he disappears.
2: He mm-hmm. just got he just got served <laughs> by a child. I love
0: it. I I, I can't think of a way to a, way, a better way to end this episode. I just want to read that speech really quick because they went, Do wow, it. this is such a great hidden gem in this book. Um, but Diggory says, but there's one thing I jolly well mean to say first. I didn't believe in magic till today. I see now it's real. Well, if it is, I suppose all the old fairy tales are more or less true. And you're simply a wicked, cruel magician like the ones in the stories. Well, I've never read a story in which people of that sort weren't paid out in the end. And I bet you will be and serve you right. And then Lewis <laughs> just writes, of all the things Diggory had said, this was the first that really went home. And re- really shook Ooh. Uncle Andrew. I love it. But that is it. We've uh, gotten through, thank heavens, that wasn't too long, getting through the first two chapters of Magician's Nephew. No,
2: that was actually pretty good.
0: <laughs> we held it together uh, in the post-show chatter, uh, uh, link, in, link in the description to a little more discussion we're going to do here shortly. Thank you, Patreon supporters. Talk about maybe a couple things we didn't have room for. Before I go, just as kind of a little teaser for the rest of the series, I want to read a comment from Colonel Clink that... Wow. Kind of knocked my socks off. We were just posted a a thread in the Talking Bees Facebook group and just asked, hey, we're doing a series on the magician's nephew. What should we talk about? And Colonel Clink posted this. Colonel Clink said, here's kind of a weird question I have for Glumpuddle. Does the magician's nephew offend you? Because it's clear you're into science fiction and stories about exploring the unexplorable. Your favorite book is The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, which is all about people exploring uncharted places, never mind practicality. And the message of the magician's nephew is that that's bad. The rings in the deplorable word are portrayed as things to which humans should not have access, and curiosity about them is a weakness. It ends with the rings being buried, per Aslan's command, never to be used again. How does that make you feel?
2: Ooh.
0: Well, Colonel Clink, that's such a... So many fascinating parts of that, and I, I really think it speaks to what the one of the central ideas of um the magician's nephew, which is curiosity, wanting to explore the unknown, wanting to see what's out there, but to what end. Um, and so I'm gonna keep this comment kind of in the back of my mind uh throughout this series. So thanks for that little platform to spring off of. So great comment in the Talking Bees Facebook group. We also got comments. Just quick thank you. Thank you to Brian, Cody, Daniel, Deanna, Kyle, Michelle, Nick, Rachel, Rebecca, and Tim for posting ideas for things that we can talk about in upcoming chapters. Because like I said, so much. It could go all day. We got to make it finite somehow. So please post a comment in the Talking Bees Facebook group or a comment below on narniweb.com and let us know what we should talk about. We got to find somewhere to stop. Jim Fan, uh, why don't you go ahead and take the outro?
2: I will in a second, but I think it needs to be edited first. Oh, darn it. I have
0: not <laughs> I've not edited it for the new season.
2: It says at the end it says Merry Christmas. Oh, 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 I didn't mention I like, this. We're not <laughs> this episode's not it's coming
0: out for a long
1: Christmas time, guys. At
0: <laughs> Long live the true
2: king. It's not,
1: not like it's not always winter, and never Christmas.
0: <laughs> okay, I think it has been restored. It has been restored oh. to its uh, generic form.
2: There you go. Perfect. I I was just like, I can just do this on the fly, but I will probably mess it up. Okay, <laughs> let's go. All right, you have been listening to Talking Beast, the Narnia podcast from NarniaWeb.com. If you've enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe and give us five, not four, five stars on iTunes. Post a comment on narniweb.com or in the Talking Beast Facebook group. Visit patreon.com slash narniweb to support this podcast and get exclusive content, including more episodes. You can also email us at glumpuddle at narniweb.com, gymfan at narniweb.com, or rillian at narniweb.com. Until next time, further up and further in.